the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad you're joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, we love to have conversation there from things we're discussing, and some of it has gotten lively in the last couple of days, <laughs> so you can jump on there, and uh, we would love your interaction. You can also find old shows at 1160hope.com or wherever it is you find your podcast. Well, uh, usually joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out for the week, enjoying some family time here in the summer. Uh, so I am flying solo, but one of the things we enjoy doing uh, is especially bringing in other local pastors to say, uh, to, to kind of let people get to know some of the men and women that we work with and around here in the Chicagoland area. And so for the next hour, I am excited. We are going to be joined by Ashley Her. Ashley is the pastor of Redemption Church in Mount Prospect. How are you, bud? Thanks for being here. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. The irony is that the first time you and I ever met along with Ian was in this studio before Ian and I ever had this show, which is which is a little strange. It's kind of cool to be back sitting in almost the same seat. And I'm yes. picturing one of you over there and one of you over here. <laughs> All of us in fear. Yeah. What? Please don't say anything wrong. How many apologies do I have to make when I get off this thing? <laughs> Please. Just no heresy. No heresy. Watching the clock countdown. If I don't speak, I can't say anything wrong. <laughs> and uh, we are glad you made it. It's apparently you loved driving Golf Road today. Th- uh, excited about that. And uh... Golf Road right now, we are best friends. I love it. <laughs> I, I think we are about two blocks away from the radio station, and it took me an hour to get here. <laughs> Chicago land roads in the summer. So Love it. Uh, so as we said, you are a pastor at Redemption Church at Mount Prospect. So uh, the first question we always love to ask pastors is just this, how'd you get there? Give us the background, maybe your calling into ministry. Tell us about your family. Reader's Digest version of how you got to where you are. Yeah, because I got like the five-hour version yep. and the five-minute version. Yep, we all do. What I love is that uh, my calling came via what feels like God putting a billboard out on I-90. Mm. One of those you can't miss. He came and found me. I didn't find this. Uh, I grew up in a little farm town in Iowa. Wow. And uh, we, we, I grew up a church kid. Mm. And so my heart is for church kids. Yeah. I grew up knowing a lot about Jesus. Don't know if I really knew Jesus. Yes. And uh, met my wife, Jill, at Iowa State, where I was majoring in electrical engineering. And uh, we fell in love. You know how they say, you know, when you know. Yeah. Yeah, I knew. Oh, that's awesome. I knew. So we uh, we got married when I was still in college. And afterwards, we were looking for an adventure. She was from Iowa as well. So we uh, we headed out to Phoenix. We headed out to the desert. Neither one of us had ever been to Phoenix, but we thought that was going to be fun. Yeah. And uh, I was working for Motorola after a couple summers interning here in town. And uh, a few years later, I uh, got, uh, got a job transfer that brought us back to the mothership here in Chicagoland. Okay. And when we came back, 
um, we decided it was time to jump in the deep end of a church and fully commit. Wow. We had been attending. Yeah, we yeah. had been making excuses why we couldn't do this, that, or the other. I was traveling far too much. And uh, so we jumped in right away. And two years later, the church closed. Oh, no. So maybe that was us. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, our associate pastor at the time, he uh, he came and uh, we got coffee one day. And he's like, hey, so here's the deal. I've been praying for a couple of years about planting a church. And now that I'm unemployed, this seems like a great time to do it. <laughs> Can we use your living room and will you support us financially? Wow. I'm like, well, how do you say no to that? Exactly. Exactly. So uh, we were living in Crystal Lake at the time. And so Redemption Bible Church started meeting in our living room. We had 26 people that first night, February 28th, 2009. Uh, and you're still at Motorola at this time. I was, oh, yeah, still at Motorola. Okay. And we had no intention of being a part of this church yeah. long term because yeah. we knew they, w- they wanted to settle in that sort of uh, 53 I-90 intersection. Okay. Kind of the geographical center of Chicagoland. And uh, so we met in the living room. Summertime comes and they start meeting in Palatine and, and uh, Ryan Hughley was our planning pastor. He's like, just keep coming through the summer. You haven't yeah. found another church yet. And uh, so we did stay on through public launch. We did <laughs> stay on through Christmas. Yes. We did go through elder candidacy with the other two guys. I did. Yeah. So fast forward a year and a half later, it's January, uh, January of 2011. I'm installed as an elder with uh, three other guys. So there's four of us now yep. uh, pastoring this church. Um, they all three have very defined roles, lead pastor, worship pastor, executive pastor, and then this guy, they don't know what to do with. Yeah. Uh, I'm an engineer. I'm just thinking different than them in every way imaginable. Yeah. Uh, I have a spreadsheet for everything. That's my, my love language is, is spreadsheets. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, if there's at least one spreadsheet illustration once a month in a sermon, but, uh, so what do we do? I, I started preaching three or four times a year. Wow. You know, I was a theater geek growing up. Okay, okay. So I, I loved it. And every time I preach, I'd kind of get the, I kind of like this. Yes. I get the bug, I'd call yep, it. Yep, and then yep. it would settle down. And uh, later that year, we had uh, we had our boys, Ethan and Sean. Um, and if we had them on the same day, yes, that means they're twins. <laughs> uh, a little, little sidebar, we avoid the T word because they're two individuals, not a collective. Oh, interesting. Okay. But uh, so we had our boys, we, uh, we went to two services and uh, it's just not working. Uh, Jill's driving two infants to church on her own. Yeah. Uh, I'm coming early, staying late. We got a meeting middle of the week. We're starting to find uh, reasons why we're not going to certain functions at the church. And uh, we're like, we got two choices. Yeah. We sell our house in the pit of the housing market or we find a church back in Crystal Lake. Mm. And we had no desire to do the latter. Yeah. So yeah. we, um, we listed our house on a Friday and accepted an offer the next Friday. Okay. To be, to move and be closer to this church yeah. we were never supposed to be a part of yeah, long term. Yeah. And you're still at Motorola this whole time. Still at Motorola this okay. whole time. So we moved to Arlington Heights. Uh, we made what will go down as the worst financial decision in our lives in the amount of money we lost on that house. But it was <laughs> it was the best decision at the yeah, same time. Yeah. That's fascinating. So we're, I'm closer to work. That's good. Yep. Um, and they asked me to take over the children's ministry now. Wow. Which... Most people turn and run the other way when asked that, like, give me 99 other things I'd rather do than that. But uh, he's like, you love your kids. Your kids seem to love Jesus. Just do that. Doing that with the other kids. (laughs) Yeah, Do that with them. (laughs) So I did it because that's where the need was. Yeah. And uh, kept preaching a little bit here and there. And then we come up to um, what I call the text message that changed everything. Mm. It was the Thursday before Thanksgiving of 2015. And Ryan sent me a text saying, I need to talk to you and Jill about a ministry opportunity. Mm. 
And I remember looking up at the ceiling and saying to God, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And so I'm not going to worry about it. And uh, he came over the next day and he said, here's the deal. It's time for me to step down. It's time for you to step up. Wow. And Ryan and my wife, Jill and I, we spent the next hour basically in tears the whole time processing through. Uh, He had filled me in on what had been going on in his heart over the course of the last few months. Yeah. Uh, The elders minus me had been meeting and talking about next steps and um, had determined I was the guy. And so my call was so obvious. Yes. I joke about how Jill and I spent no time praying about it. Yeah. What was there to pray about? Others were praying for it. (laughs) Yes. Leading up to it. And uh, we prayed a lot about how, but never about if. Mm hmm. Um, Ryan's also a good salesman. So uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So did he just go to another church? He did. He had a, he had a call uh, at a, at a larger church down in North Carolina oh, okay. that lasted a couple of years and, um, led to him. He's actually planted a new church out in Salt Lake city, which wow. I want to talk about that a little bit as well. Cause yeah. that's a pretty cool story. But, yeah. uh, my call was, was obvious and yeah. it was one that I couldn't say no to. Oh, it's one if, that I didn't want to say no exactly. to. And you quit Motorola and, and there you go. That's After good. 17 years, I left Motorola. Oh. I was a lifer. I was going to stay forever. That, that had to be a moment where you told them, hey, and they said, why are you quitting? I'm starting. I'm going to pastor a church. That was probably something. When I went to t- uh, grab my VP to tell him my resi- or give him my resignation, I said, hey, Randy, we need to talk. And yeah. he goes, this isn't good, is it? He's like, <laughs> well, it depends. Yeah. He goes, uh, you're going to go to church, aren't you? Oh, wow. So they knew. Oh, yeah. He knew. he and I had walked through some life things together and okay. um, he knew he was happy. Uh, he was happy for us. Oh, man. That, that's a great story. See, this is why we always ask people first. Tell us your story because it is always such a good story. Well, this is Ashley Her. He is the pastor of Redemption Church in Mount Prospect. And uh, he's going to stay with us coming up next. going to ask him just some questions. What do you like about pastoring? Uh Is there anything you don't like about pastoring (laughs) (laughs) and what might those be? That's coming up next year on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out uh, enjoying some family time this week. Uh, sitting in for him for this first hour is Ashley Her. Ashley is the pastor of Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. And then you just told a fascinating story of uh, of kind of your call to ministry, not even really being a call, just being presented in your lap and how you went from Motorola uh, and kind of going to work there the rest of my life and uh, loving it and instead uh, the door opening uh, at a church that you loved. And so now into the present, you are a pastor. How many years have you been pastoring now? Just over three years. I started March of 16. March of 16. I just. guess I should say three and a half now. Yes. That's hard. Uh, I never go with the halves. We'll go. We'll go almost the, uh, four. To or clarify just over was, I can't believe it's been that long. Not like, oh, my gosh, it's been that uh, long. I hear you, man. I hear you. It's gone by like that. So in those three years, as you've gotten to know the whole pastor world and what that's like, uh, what are the things that you love? What yeah. are the things that just light it up for you? And you're like, man, I was meant to do this. What are your favorite parts of pastoring? You know, it was weird as I came in knowing nothing. Yeah. I had no vocational ministry experience. I had no Bible education. My degree is electrical engineering. What does that do in yep. ministry? Yep. And so I knew I knew less than nothing. I didn't even know how little I knew. But um, the thing that I liked before ministry as an as a lay elder that to this day I love is preaching. Mm. And um, not so much like 
I want to be up front and have everybody looking at me. Yep. What I love is, so we just finished a, uh, a series through the book of Habakkuk. Wow. Like, how many listeners know Habakkuk's in the Bible? Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're honest much, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm preaching through a minor prophet every summer. Okay. Let's hit these obscure books. Yep. And what I love is I'm reading it, not for the first time, but yep. at this depth for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I just get to stand there on Sunday morning and share how the Spirit has spoken to me and mm-hmm. share that with the people I love more than anybody. Yeah. And we call that preaching, and that's the calling. Yeah. How great of a gig is this? It is. So where did you, if you had no formal training, um, was it just baptism by fire? How did you learn to preach? Did some people come alongside you? What was that process like? We, um, I got about three or four reps a year before, mm-hmm. and uh, Ryan, our lead pastor at the time, was real good at um, helping me get ready. And then critiquing on the back end and growing through each of those reps that I had. Uh, we started a thing called Preaching Lab to get us a few more reps gotcha. that we're, we're doing to this day where we're seeing new guys come and preach their first sermon ever. Mm. Some of those have turned into Sunday morning sermons for our church family. Wow. Which has been great to see. Uh, that's one of the things that's been a mark of our church forever yeah. is we want to see our people grow in this and so yeah. in my three years we've had five guys preach their first sermon at redemption oh how fun i love it do they self-identify they're like i want to learn how to preach or do you go out and be like hey i want you to come join me a little bit of both it's been a little bit of both yeah uh it's i love the stories where i approach a guy and say hey i think i think maybe you should come hang out with us on on saturday so this mm. thing we call preaching lab and they get the deer in the headlights and then you ask them hey i think i think you should bring that and preach that on a sunday morning mm. bigger Headlight, yep, you know yep. what I mean? But uh, but I, I love preaching. The other thing that I love is, and this is going to sound cheesy, cliche, I love our people. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't want to be a pastor at the church across the road, down the street, another. I want to be a pastor of this church. That's great. And, um, you know, you see stories of um, you, you go to the little church to get to the med- medium church to yep. get to the bigger church. Yep. Nah, I like this church. Mm-hmm. And so I do love these people. I love getting to spend time with them. I love when they share their prayer requests with us and we get to pray with them, yeah. texting them throughout the week, uh, having them in my study, meeting them for coffee. I love these people and yeah. I love preaching. Um, and then I'll be honest, I love growing in my faith through it all. So I'm in seminary right now. Oh, you are? Yeah. So I enrolled at TED's. That was one of the first things I did. Oh, no idea. one asked me to do it. I asked if I could do it. Gotcha. And got the support of the elders to go do it. So I've been at TED's for uh, a while now. People ask, <laughs> how, how many years you got left? I'm like, well, I'm three years in and yeah. credits expire at 10 years. So I guess I got seven yeah, left. Yeah. It's this full-time job gets in the yeah. way and parenting, right? But I, but I love it. I love Learning and I love getting to share what I've learned. Yeah. And then, and that's the calling. Yeah. Now, you guys, uh, I'm trying to remember if I saw this right on Facebook, right? Didn't you guys move at some point? We did. So, uh, uh, two years ago in August, we merged with uh, a church in Mount Prospect named uh, Mount Prospect Bible Church. Mm -hmm. So, for us, our, we had eight years, six locations, four zip codes. Whoa. We tabernacled throughout the Northwest. Yeah. 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 And one of the things I wanted for us was a home. Mm hmm. Not that it uh, was necessary, but eight years of lugging carts every Sunday was was getting old. Yep. And so I set out talking to whoever I could, and um, that might be six degrees of Kevin Bacon, so to speak, yes, away yes, from yes. my home. And uh, we 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 made contact with uh, the folks at Mount Prospect Bible Church, and over the course of about a year uh, of conversations and praying about, you know, could we come together? Would we be 
better together, yes. so to speak. Yep. Um, but August 13th of uh, 2017, we uh, we had our first service together as one That's family. Awesome. And two years later, it's been great to see people ask all the time, you know, is there this us versus them? Yeah. No, there's the us. Mm. So how did you do us. that? Because uh, maybe most people don't know this, but when you're in the church world, you come to find out that most churches that merge, uh, which that is two churches coming mm-hmm. together, most churches that merge don't make it. Uh, at least that's always what I've heard. And so it sounds like your guys is a success story. Maybe where were some of the landmines and how did you guys get to the point where you're like, yeah, no, we're good. We're one church. We went slow. Okay. We went really, really slow. And there were things that they wanted to see maintained. And we were very clear about those things. Like, what are the things that are most important? They had Awana. They're mm. one of the first Awana churches. Mm. We didn't have that. That sounds good. Yeah. You know, they had an adult uh, Sunday school before service. Okay. Mm. You know, things like that. That Why wouldn't we keep yeah. that? Yeah. So, and you'll hear them refer to as sacred cows in, when it's in a negative sense. These, these were good things that yeah. they wanted to see continue. But their heart was, they wanted kids running around and screaming in that building. Yeah. They wanted it filled with life and to see the gospel proclaimed and that happened. Mm. And it's been, you know, it's been a long process of coming together. Um, And then we had certain things that we wanted to see maintained. Um, We are not the same redemption that we were Mm. before the merge. We're not the same redemption we were when Ryan was pastor of the church. For sure. For sure. And, And for me as a pastor, like that was hard to hear the word different. Yeah. You know, the insecurities kick in, especially when you've been doing this job for a year. Different, good or bad. (laughs) Yeah. And so you defend it. Like, no, nothing's changed. Yes, A lot of change. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if I had it to do over again, there's a list of things I would do differently. But what's been neat is I've gotten to talk to a handful of guys going through similar situations. And then, you know, what you're doing right there, that's really good. Mm. Add this. Yeah. Um, You can't communicate enough. Mm. I wish I'd have visited every small group before. I wish I'd have visited every small group after. Uh, We had member meetings leading up to it. And we've always um, sought questions and discussion. I wish I would have done it even more. Yeah. Um, That's really good. Because even in our church, which is now 10 years old and, uh, you know, you've kind of things are it's a little more settled. You're not the new church. I, I, you think that people just know or they get these things. And I've I've really I don't always practice it well, but I've come to become a big believer, at least. And you can never over communicate. Never. It's like when they're sick of hearing it, they're just starting to hear. It. Exactly. Yeah. One time is not enough. Yeah. And yeah. Because we live it. And then it's like, OK, no one else is thinking about yeah. your church as much as you. Yeah. Are. Well, we live. Well, I, 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 I the number of times, especially early on, where I'm like, well, I said it like before I preached like three weeks ago. What's the question about? <laughs> and people are like. Uh, no, that's well, and we sent an email about it. I don't, exactly. Which then you see the stats of how many people read them. You're like, uh oh. <laughs> do you look at the? Do you use Mailchimp? We do. Do you look at the stats? No, I don't. See, the engineer in me kicks in every I Thursday don't. when we send it out. Ooh, how many people looked oh, in the first like twenty seconds? Yeah. You just want to. Who's the first to open it? Oh, really? That's funny. I will Bye. go look. I, I'm the, I'm more of the masticator or whatever. I, I enjoy pain, so I will uh, I will always go look to see who has unsubscribed us in the last <laughs> week or month and be like, oh, that's no good. And so, because when people unsubscribe you from MailChimp, they're making a point. Yeah. They're making a point. Well, this is a lot of fun, man. Let's keep it up. Ashley Hur, the pastor of Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. Uh, now I want to kind of, uh, after the break, I want to talk kind of more globally, more of the American church, the evangelical church, and... Uh, some ways that that we see that landscape uh, shaping up. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, usually alongside Ian Simpkins, uh, but Ian is not here today. Ian is out and about enjoying time with his family here in the summer. Uh, so I am Brian Fromm and flying solo today. But one of the things that Ian and I both like to do when the other one is not here is to bring in pastors or people that we find to be interesting. Uh, and along that vein, I'm excited to be joined today by Ashley Her. Uh, Ashley is the pastor of Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. So right around here, if you're looking for a church and you're in the Mount Prospect area, I'm sure they would be glad to have you. Uh, if you missed the first two segments with Ashley, I would, I would encourage you to go back on the podcast, uh, talking about his story, how he got to where he is, a little bit more about his church. Uh, I kind of wanted uh, to step back a little bit now and talk about kind of the big C church, particularly the big C evangelical church. And uh, the term evangelical and the church in and of itself is is pretty hot button in and of itself right now. A lot of assumptions being made about it. We've got some figureheads that we don't so much enjoy being uh, representative of us. You probably are feeling the fallout from things like Willow and Harvest even more than where yeah. I am down. I'm down in Downers Grove, so that's we're a little removed. But you're right up, right, right up where all this is. Yeah, we, let, we were foolish there. enough to plant in the shadow of Harvest. Well, who, who does that? Let's jump there, and I don't want to get you in trouble. But before the question, I was going to ask you, what has that been like to pastor so closely to Harvest yeah. and to Willow? And with all that's gone on, uh, what has that been like? Pre-everything going down, let's say. Yep, yep. Um, we had a, a bit of a connection with Harvest. We were able to use some of the resources. We had friends there. Cool. And um, that relationship has obviously changed over time. Um, since everything went down, you know, one of the first things we did, when the Sunday after Willow had their Wednesday night family meeting. Yep. Um, it was, we were celebrating our one year of our merge. Oh, fascinating. And um, I spent some time before my sermon saying, Hey, I, when a church down the road is hurting, we're hurting, mm, you know, we're all on the same good. team here. They're it's not good. competition. Yep. Yep. And so we spent some time praying for uh, the women mm. that had been abused. Yes. We prayed for the new leaders. You know, here you got a, a, a campus pastor that was being <laughs> thrust into the deep end. Uh, and pray for repentance by those that needed to repent. Yep. Uh, and then we did the same thing after Harvest had yeah. their experience. And for me, um, it was more personal. Mm. We have members at Redemption that are former staff members from there oh, that are recovering. Yeah. Um, you That's know, complex. It is. Yeah. And I'll just be real honest. Like prior to then, one of the guys that I listened to preach the most was James McDonald. Yeah. And so it was, I was angry. Mm -hmm. I was angry as someone who looked up to him. Mm -hmm. I was angry as a pastor of a church that had people hurt as well. And I'd asked my elders, I said, here's, here's the statement I would like to read. And it's raw. Mm. What do you think? Yeah. And they're like, I think you need to allow that to show through. That's good. And so we did a very similar thing, but I just expressed, you know, I feel hurt. I yeah. feel angry. And yeah. let's just acknowledge this. Uh, one thing that I've told our people, though, is I don't want you recruiting from other churches. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to build a church on the on transfer growth. Yep. Yep. That does nothing for the kingdom, yeah, especially hurting transfer growth yes. right there. You're going to. Uh, so that's a, that's a good jumping off point here about those churches in our area here. Um, that has left a lot of people not very hopeful, but you know, yeah. because of the, the major church falls or, you know, the other day we we're talking about Joshua Harris yep. or you got Drisk, Mark Driscoll a year, a couple years ago or, or a couple of weeks ago, he had another, Oh, did he really? 
Oh, yeah. oh, I did see that Twitter. Okay. Yeah. And so you got all that, the whole Christian thing. And then you've got the Franklin Graham stuff yep. and the Jerry Falwell Jr., whatever you think of those guys. And then you've just got the political landscape, which we might get into in a little bit. And uh, I, it wraps up to this question. Are you hopeful for the American church? Uh, where's your own gut feeling about where, uh, how you feel about the church and maybe what you hope for? It? I'm hopeful because on one hand, if we look at 2000 years of church history, this isn't the first time we've been here. Yeah. You know, it's not like this is the first uh-oh moment in the history <laughs> of the church. And I think another reason I'm hopeful is that it's not, de- you know, it's not dependent on you and me. Yep. God's going to win. Yep. We know how this story ends. And so we don't know all the details between now and God winning. Yeah. God's already won. He's already yeah. secured it. So I'm hopeful. Um, what I think it is doing is I think we're seeing, uh, do I want to call it nominal Mm-hmm. Followers of Christ, I think, are the ones falling away. And so I think there's a bigger um, if you're still at the church right now, I think you're you're all in, so to speak, more. Um, and I think we've got you know, I said this in a sermon the other day. We were talking about um, Jesus when he said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Yep. And I made a statement that um, the world likes to say that, you know, God's world word is intolerant. I said, I don't think God's word is intolerant. I think God's people are intolerant. Yep, yep. And I think we can be our own worst enemy. Yeah. And so I think we as the church have to look in the mirror and listen, learn and love. Mm, How good. have we failed the world with things like race? Yeah. You know, when you that's. We've scarred a lot of people. We, the, the big C church, the church yeah, yeah. and we have to own that. Um and if we're not willing to listen and have discussion, man, we're going to we're going to we're shoving our foot in our mouth, so to speak. It's good. Yeah. So so you may have heard in 2020, there's a president presidential election coming. Is and, that time already? <laughs> it's oh, man. And Ian and I were, we were kind of joking the other day and I told him I am like dreading. Yeah. This as a we can't not talk about it. And well, that's what I want to get to uh, your um, as a pastor. Uh, especially, you know, it sounds like when 2016 rolled around, you guys had you, were you a pastor then, or you were just starting You're kind of, I'm trying to do the math in my head. You were yeah, right I was there. Still trying to figure out, still trying to figure it all out. Right. Yeah. Uh, which we're all still trying to I don't do. I don't even know if I remember 2016. Exactly. Exactly. Well, here's the question with all that's going on leading up to 2020 with all the polarization, yeah. with, with all the emotion, how do you think you're going to handle it as a pastor? And maybe how do you think? Maybe it's too, it's probably the same thing, but how do you think pastors in general should handle the coming 18 months when, you know, it's all that's going to be on our Facebook feed and quite frankly, yeah. a lot of what our people care about. On one hand, I want to say we need to just keep preaching the gospel, mm-hmm. but I think yeah. we have to talk about this at the same time. One thing I've been a proponent of is I'm not going to talk about names per se. Uh, I'm not going to push you <clears throat> left or right or down the middle uh, as far as candidates go. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's my job as a pastor. Um, Forget the 501C. Forget the government things. Take that away. I still don't know if that's it. I think we should talk about topics Mm -hmm. and informing our people. And so uh, that question was starting to go through my head a couple weeks ago. And so I've been reaching out to other guys within our network, other pastors that I'm close with. Um, One, asking them the exact same question. (laughs) but And two, so we can be bouncing things off of, what is appropriate for us to say from the pulpit and what is not. Yeah. And I think 
ask 10 pastors, you're going to get 10 answers. No doubt. But I do think there's an out of bounds. Okay. And I think there's a, a meaning like, I think you can go too far. Yep. And I think we see that. Uh, you, you see, you see pastors on Fox News, you see them on mm-hmm. everywhere. And, um, but I think we can go not far enough and ignore it too. Yeah, we like, yeah. So we have a responsibility to our congregation, but I think we can go too far. And so I think we need help. We need to help each other identify some of those boundaries and stay within them. And then uh, what topics are important that we should be talking about leading yeah. up to it. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know if that looks like the month leading up to it, we're doing a sermon series, mm-hmm. or uh, I'd like to think that some of these things are. Um, in in our preaching every week anyway, right. not just once every four years. Yep. Um, you know, I had somebody the other day um, make a comment about an individual that I, he, he was talking about this guy named Tim Kelly, mm. who's the ringleader of the social justice warriors. And I was like, do you mean Tim Keller? <laughs> he's like, yeah, that guy. And I was like, yeah, I got a whole bunch of his books. I'm like, he's great. He I'm reading like it. The best. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading his book, uh, uh, Ministries of Mercy right now. Yeah. And he was offended. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and so I do think we're going to, how do I say this, put our big boy pants on. Yeah. And let's stand our ground in what the gospel says. But yeah, so I don't know if it's preaching a series, continuing to just hit those topics every Hopefully we're hitting them all the time anyway, but let's not do this in isolation. So if I have some advice for pastors, don't do this. Don't ever do anything in isolation, especially don't approach this in isolation. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And I'm fascinated that you've been talking to other pastors about it. Maybe fun over the next months for us to get a group of pastors in here and just talk about it. Just we need to lay it down. And right now we just have questions. Cause I think I struggle with it too. Like what exactly is our role? Yeah. Um, because it's such a fun line. Well, we're going to do one more segment here with Ashley, her and, uh, we're going to finish well by talking about how do we finish well? And, uh, something I think that all of us think about and, uh, what does that look like? Not just as pastors, but just as Christians, as people, how do we finish well? That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Grateful that you're joining us today. Ian Simpkins is out today, and so I've been joined for the last hour uh, by Ashley Herr. Ashley is the uh, pastor of Redemption Bible Church right here in Mount Prospect. And so again, like we said last hour, uh, last segment, if you're looking for a church locally, I mean, Mount Prospect, we're close, right? I don't know my northern suburbs very well. Just don't well, drive on Gulf Road and we're close. <laughs> Just avoid <laughs> Gulf Road and you can get there quickly. And so uh, I'm sure he would love to have you join us. What's the website of your church? RedemptionBC.org. RedemptionBC.org. Well, uh, on our last segment together, you, uh, you and I were trading Facebook messages about what we can talk about. And I thought you brought up something fascinating. Uh, and that is this concept of finishing well. And in this, you sent me a screenshot off of Twitter, and it is fascinating. Let me describe it for people. Uh, this guy by the name of Cody Cunningham tweeted, this is the back cover of a book called Dangerous Calling, a book addressing the perils of an unhealthy pastoral ministry. And then he says, it's sad and sobering to see these names. Uh, I believe this is a Paul Tripp book, right? Yeah, yep. Uh, and so Tripp's great. He writes great stuff. Of the five names on the back here, three of these people uh, have either um, left the ministry under bad circumstances or left the faith altogether. And which is so uh, sadly ironic because it's about a book called Dangerous Calling about the perils of unhealthy pastoral ministry. And so you brought that up and I read that. I was like, oh, oh, that's crazy. Because it's not like they were just commenting on the book. They were writing on the back cover. They are the ones 
reviewing the book. And so it does bring And the book's not like it's super old. No, it is recent. And Paul Tripp is great. Like, it's a great book and timely. Uh, And I started listening to it. I went running yesterday. Okay. I got a. So I told my church on Sunday that I wanted to run a half marathon before the end of the summer. Oh, that's unwise of you. My arrogance <laughs> led me to run 13-1 yesterday. So I got to listen to a lot of the Audible book yesterday. And had, you he been run, had you been running at all? I'm five weeks in. Oh, my gosh. I can't feel my hardcore, legs today. Man. But uh, it's a great book. And he, he is so open. Paul is so open and honest about his struggles yeah. and his failings and the network that he has allowed to surround him and I think it makes it, yeah, it just makes it all the more, not ironic. That's not a, that's not the right word yet. Yep. Yep. Sad. It's haunting. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think as pastors, we can see the carnage all around us and you, it's easy to point at the big church carnage, the mega church, cause there's a lot of it, but also you read about it, but we, you and I both, I'm sure could spend the next five minutes, 10 minutes sharing stories of small church carnage of friends we have of pastors we know. Uh, who either have left the ministry either by choice or <laughs> by action. It has nothing to do with size of your church. Exactly. Exactly. So here's how I want to wrap up our time together is this. Uh, it sounds like this is something you've been wrestling with. And I think we all do. But how do you finish well? How do you, however many more years you have a, as a pastor, uh, I guess let's start there. Pastorally, how do we finish well? And then maybe we'll spin it just as pastors to talk to just you know, regular people out there, yeah. uh, pastors or non-pastors, how do we just finish life well? But but start right there as a pastor. How do you, what can you do to finish well? So one of the things that hit me last year was in year two, that I was like, I got 25 years left. I turned yeah. 40. Let's say I, I want to do this until 65. I'd mm-hmm. love to do it longer. Yeah. But so 25 years, that's a, that's a, that's a long time. Yep. Uh, well, you hear this, you know, pastors uh, changing churches every three years because they run out of things to say. So true. And so continuing to feed my soul, you know, and continue to grow in my faith, continue to grow that's in Christ likeness in my own way. The other then is not building fences that keep others out of my life, but continuing to pull others in. And so yeah. I was just, I was thinking through in my run, I have a therapist you do Ooh, a pastor said on the radio as a therapist. <laughs> I do. And I, and I love the man. He, yeah. he has been instrumental in me dealing with things from my past. And why is it that I struggle with yeah. this? Uh, I never would have got, he's been my guide. Where did you, at what point did you decide I need a therapist? Was it in pastoral ministry or even before you got in? It was when I was a lay elder, uh, Ryan, our lead pastor at the time said, you're, you have a low ceiling on your effectiveness as a pastor because you struggle with vulnerability. Uh, and I didn't recognize that, but he did. Yeah. And you know, my therapist, um, he Scott's his name. He, uh, he's, he led me through over the course of a very intense year on what it was that had shut me down. Mm. And I never would have found that on my own. Yeah. Um, so I got him. I have a coach who is a, also a lead pastor, but 10 years, my senior. Awesome. Uh, I have Ryan and I are very close and I would call him more of my mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, I have someone who I would call a partner, our, our original executive pastor. He started a executive pastor business called my XP little ring for him. There you go. I'm sure I'll appreciate it. But, uh, he and I connect every week. And so he's helping me with things. And then the most important group, the elders, Yep. um, they are, constantly on me, checking in with me. How am I doing? What am I struggling with? How can I be praying for you? Um, they our elder meeting last month. They gave me a homework assignment mm. two nights away, you and your wife, and you better figure it out. 
Wow. And so I, I got it figured out. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. that's just an example of how yes. much they love and care for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then at the tippy top of the list is my wife. Yep. You, you can't do it alone. She is not in ministry. Mm-hmm. We've never uh, subscribed to the typical pastor's wife. Yeah, us either. But she carries a burden unlike any other. Un- so I guess my point there is, Oh, and then I have a network of pastors within Converge That's that we awesome. get together every other month. You, you can't do it alone, and you can't keep people out. And don't let them in in a fake way. Let them in in an authentic way. Yeah, I said to our staff yesterday, we had staff meeting, and I said to them, and it was off an article and a discussion Ian and I had on the show, I just said, yes, I'm just going to put it this way. Don't fake your faith. No. Because if you're faking, and you know when you're faking your faith, you know it. Uh, and in ministry, like if you don't fake your faith, your mind can go to the point like, uh, job security is going to be, at yeah. the end. but you can't, that you can't make it. And that's where these guys and girls just train wreck. And so, and then uh, you leave a wake of bodies oh, behind you so bad. It's so bad in the minute and a half we have left. Here's what I want to give you an opportunity. Be pastoral. A person's driving in their car right now. Uh, Joe, you know, uh, Joe blow is just listening on the podcast. Uh, you've got a captive audience, maybe mm-hmm. give a minute's worth of pastoral encouragement, maybe to people who just might need some encouragement out there. You know, the thing that surprised me through our trip through Habakkuk was the constant focus on who God is and mm-hmm. praising God and worshiping God for who God is. And so the words that stuck out throughout that book were, uh, God is holy, that mm-hmm. he is perfect, that he is righteous and that. We are not. Yep. The second is that God is sovereign. Yeah. That in that book, we see God carrying out a plan that was not what Habakkuk wanted, yep. but yep. it was better. It was for his mm. good and for God's glory. Yep. So he is sovereign. He is eternal. Mm-hmm. God has never not existed. He'll never not exist. There's nothing he hasn't seen or foreseen. <laughs> and, and when you start to, he is strong. Yeah. He is the rock that we build our lives on. Uh, when you start to look at who God is, that's what, leads us in praise and worship of God. It's not, I hope God will give me this. I hope God will do this. Not just simply worship him for who he is and know that God loves you. Regardless of what you've done, God yeah. loves you. Oh, man, I've been encouraged by that. Ashley, this is really good, man. We're going to have you back. Me. We're going to have you back. We'll do this again. You've been listening to Ashley Her. He is the pastor of Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. My name is Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, sitting in solo today. As Ian Simpkins is out, he'll be rejoining us next week. Uh, you, as always, can uh, continue the conversation with us at The Common Good Radio Show on Facebook, at The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, there we post articles and uh, and solicit your feedback. And uh, some of that has been very emotional over the last couple, 24 hours or so. So uh, that is always fun. We encourage you to go ahead and do that. Um, and you can also find old shows at 1160hope.com, uh, or you can go and get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. You can go ahead uh, to Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get it, and you can go ahead and we'd ask you to subscribe, rate, review, share it with other people, and uh, that really does help us, and we thank you in advance, those of you who podcast. 
we often know I've, I've been surprised since we started this how many people actually podcast. Although, when I think about my own life, a lot of it is by podcast. I don't. Uh, and so I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But uh, there we go. And so uh, we're excited to be together today. And what I want to discuss here as we start is a story out of South Dakota. Let me read the headline. Public schools, this is from WGN-TV, public schools all over South Dakota are putting up mandated, quote, in God we trust signs. Let me read you part of the article here. For the new school year, South Dakota public schools will be required to display the national motto, in God we trust. A bill signed by Governor Kristi Noem mandates that the words be on display for students to see beginning in the 2019-2020 school year. The display can be on anything the principal feels is appropriate for their school, like a plaque or student artwork. But there are requirements. The display must be at least 12 inches square and must be in a prominent location. A prominent location, the bill says, is a school entryway, cafeteria, or other common area where students are most likely to see the national motto displayed. The bill also protects the schools from legal trouble that may arise from the move. Any schools that face a lawsuit or complaint as a result will be defended by the state attorney general at no cost. If the schools become responsible for legal fees or monetary damages, the state will take those on as well. Uh, Lawmakers have heard concerns that displaying the motto may alienate students of non-Christian backgrounds. A group of Stevens High School students in Rapid City spoke to their school board to propose a modification to the sign that would include mention of science, uh, Allah, Yahweh, the spirits, Buddha, Brahman, and ourselves in addition to God, according to CNN affiliate KOTA TV. I think the student said, I think there's, that's a really foundational element uh, of American society is that we are all cultural melting pot. And it is really important that we make all people who come to America to feel welcome and to be more in accordance with the First Amendment, since we all have the freedom of religion, student Abigail Ryan told the TV station. The board heard the opinion, but took no action. And so uh, the Senate Bill 55, uh, to, to remind here, requires that all public schools display the national motto in God We Trust. And it's blown up all over uh, all over social media because this is now a requirement. And so... Uh, the question that is before us is, do we think this is a win or a loss? Uh, do we think this is a good idea or a bad idea? Do we think that this is a win for um, for those of us who follow Jesus? Or is this uh, somehow uh, a detriment? Is this a loss or is it neutral? Uh, so we would love to hear your feedback. I'm going to give you some of my thoughts here here in a second, but... Uh, we would love to hear your feedback at uh, the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook. That is the Common Good Radio Show. You could also text us at 68683-68683. Type in CG followed by your comment. Uh, so this is a complicated one because it is, as the bill says, it is a national motto. It's on our it's on our currency. In God we trust. Uh, so this isn't uh, a random phrase. Uh, that the state legislature of South Dakota chose, but instead, like you, like they said, they want to highlight a national, the national or a national motto in God we trust. But on the other hand, uh, and so I would say before I say on the other hand, I would say that I understand why this was the motto that they chose, uh, that they're saying, you know what, uh, it's on our currency. 
it's it's prominently in in various places in Washington D.C. and other places, and so we are going to do the same thing here. Understood. At the same time, uh, and if you are all a listener to this show for any amount of time, uh, you're going to probably know what I'm going to say, and uh, it's this that I don't think that this uh, that this fight has much of a place in the public school. Now I have uh, three kids. Uh, and they're all currently in the public school in Downers Grove, schools that we love. My daughter is uh, going to be a sophomore in high school here in another week or two uh, at Downers Grove North High School. Uh, my son is going to be in sixth grade, and my daughter is going to be in fifth grade, both of them at Lester Elementary School in Downers Grove. We love these schools. Um, and I would be uncomfortable if these schools uh, were were uh, pushing um, what I consider to be unnecessarily, uh, by law, um, religious um, uh, verbiage or saying, you know, this is this is the direction that we are taking as a school. Again, I get that it's more complicated because of the national motto, because it being a national motto, you could say it's not religious. It's more national, uh, except put yourself in the shoes of those who do not believe in God or who believe in a different God. Uh, and and how that will make them feel in a public school uh, that their taxes go towards as equally as yours and that their kids are a part of. Uh, How would you feel if if your kid if how do you feel about those families for those families? How do you feel about the situation they're put in? And I would always ask this question is that. Just because your religion might still be the accepted majority doesn't make it right because there may come a day for many reasons. But one of them is this. Put yourself in the minority. What happens if a generation from now Christianity, say, is in the minority uh, and uh, another religion is in the majority and that majority starts putting stuff up in wall, uh, you know, in schools and starts uh, pushing stuff within the schools? Uh, Think about how you would feel. Uh, You'd be saying, you know what, this is not a place for it in the public school. And so because I feel that way, that I don't want my kids being proselytized towards other faith, I have to take that same respect and show it to other people uh, of varying faith. Uh, It doesn't mean that I don't want schools teaching other faiths, but if you know, say in world history, if they're going to teach on Christianity, then I think they have to teach on Islam and they have to teach uh, on Buddhism and other ones uh, from a much more um, educational uh, bent. Like, here's the facts. Here's how it's gone. Here's where it started. Here's how it goes. Uh, but I'm not one of these who thinks uh, that there should be uh, a Christian agenda within the public schools any more then I think there should be a Muslim agenda, an atheist agenda. And I do know there are people out there who think, well, the public schools already have an agenda. And I think that there's some truth to that. And and we should be speaking up against that. But we can't speak up against agendas that we don't agree with while turning a blind eye to agendas that we do agree with. It's got to be the same across the board. Uh, and and that's the best way to protect kind of the neutral sitting of the public schools. I understand that public schools aren't neutral, that teachers have thoughts 
all of this stuff, but, but we can at least make an effort. And so those are my thoughts on this. And I get it again. I understand some of you are going to say, well, this is about a national motto, uh, not about a religion. And I would just say that anytime you're invoking the name of God, you are entering religion into the conversation and that that's just dicey in the public school. And uh, that slippery slope is not necessarily one that I want to have to worry about for my own children. Therefore, I shouldn't need to other parent parents to have to worry about it for their kids if they may be of another faith or no faith at all. Because, again, it is a public school. Uh, those are my thoughts. Would love to hear yours at the Common Good Radio Show. That is the Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk about an article out of Christianity Christianity Today. I did it. I did it. I can never say it. Christianity Today uh, that talks about this. Pastors can be both godly and dysfunctional at the same time. What do we do with that? That's what's coming up next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday afternoon. We are glad to have you. Uh, normally joined at this time by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out enjoying some family time uh, this uh, this week. And so I am flying solo, having enjoying having other uh, people in here with me. If you did not hear Ashley, her in the beginning, uh, the, the first half of the show, I'd encourage you to go back to the podcast and listen. Ashley, uh, really compelling stuff. He's a pastor here locally in Mount Prospect. And his story is just fascinating about how he became a pastor and also this concept of finishing well uh, kind of is going to get into this article we're about to discuss out of Christianity Today. But a couple of the particulars, if you want to follow us on Facebook, you can do so at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, if you're a podcaster, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, go ahead and subscribe, rate, review, and uh, thank you in advance for those of you uh who do that uh, again? I was just mentioning an article out of Christianity Today, and it's interesting. Let me set it up this way: it it, it, uh, uh, it is focused for pastors. It is by a guy by the name of Todd Wilson. Uh, but I think what you'll see here is his um, advice, if you will, his challenge that he makes towards pastors really goes for everybody, uh, and so. Uh, he's writing towards pastors, and I just want to read some of this article for us uh, because I found it really challenging. It's, it's kind of this concept of uh, can we be good at our jobs without being a healthy person and while having these segmented lives? In fact, he writes it this way. Pastors can be godly and dysfunctional at the same time. They can be holy and not whole. They can be biblically faithful and psychologically broken. They can be prayer warriors and control freaks, spiritually mature and emotionally repressed they can sincerely love jesus yet be addicted to food or porn or pain meds i know this to be true he writes from experience and he goes on uh to tell us his own story uh about kind of being um so motivated by success that he didn't even have the ability uh to take uh, to take his sabbatical when his church gave him time off. Uh, he did it, made it for like three days and then went back to the office at 6 a.m. on that Monday. And people were like, what are you doing? And he's like, I, I don't know. I had to come back. 
He said, for many years as a pastor, I was godly and dysfunctional at the same time. If you had come to live with me for a week in January of 2015, slept on my couch, shadowed me through today, you would have come away thinking he's a godly man. He loves Jesus. He loves the Bible. He loves the church. He cares about his wife and children and making a difference in the world. But you would have also seen that I was dysfunctional. Uh, and, and so he goes into the story about not being able to take a sabbatical that they gave him. Like, I can't imagine that. Like, uh, during the first week of the sabbatical, he said, rather than just relax and spend time with his family, it says, I was up at five, went to the Y by five thirty, swam 2000 yards, showered, got to church by six thirty, had devotions until eight and then started working. I finished up around six and went home. I felt better instantly. My brain experienced a surge of satisfaction. Uh, two or three weeks later, so this went on for two weeks and a friend texts him and says, Todd, is that your car in the church parking lot? Aren't you supposed to be on sabbatical? And they immediately send him to a therapist. And, and this raises just some questions. He goes, uh, he gets off his own story and he talks about integration. Uh, what is it to be uh, integrated? He writes this many forms of evangelical spiritual spirituality fail to foster integration. We prioritize doctrinal instruction and moral development, but we neglect psychological healing. We emphasize the cultivation of character, but we overlook our psychological compulsions, fixations, and emotional reactivity. This type of spirituality will breed disintegrated pastors whose ministries will sooner or later disintegrate them. He says, we see signs of disintegrated uh Christians all around us. Why is it that, quote, good Christians don't always make for very good human beings? They're faithful to their families. They're consistent in church attendance. They cut the grass. They pay their taxes and they read their Bibles and pray for the nations. Yet they can also be rigid, self-righteous, xenophobic, racist, sexist, controlling, narrow minded, emotionally repressed, sexually dysfunctional, bitter, impulsive and angry. And that launches him into this premise. We need an approach to spiritual formation that fosters integration that brings together doctrinal instruction and moral development on the one hand with psychological healing on the other an approach that brings about not only holiness, but wholeness. And almost apologetically, he says in saying this, I'm sounding a note similar to one Dallas Willard sounded several decades ago. Willard's concern was that Christians weren't attaining Christ likeness, but not, not because of a lack of effort. No, everywhere he looked, he saw sincere Christians doing the best they could. Uh, he said, instead, the problem is our deficient theological anthropology. And so for the rest of the article, Wilson goes about this. What does it look like? What are the steps to take to have an integrated faith? And this is why I said earlier, this is not just for pastors. So you might be a banker. You might be a businessman. You might be a trader. You might be a plumber. You might be a teacher. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or dad. Uh, but it is th- there is this separation in your life where, on the one hand, uh, you uh, you have a faithful um, faith in Jesus. You're following after him, but there, there are these aspects of your life, life that don't fit in. They don't come in. It's kind of the darker side of your life. And, and what Wilson is saying here, and he's going after it by, by quoting Willard. Uh, what Wilson is saying is this, how do we integrate our lives? I want you to think about that out there while I read the one Willard quote here. How do we integrate our lives? Willard says this, for serious church-going Christians, the hindrance to true spiritual, gro- true spiritual growth is not unwillingness. While they are far from perfect, no one who knows such people can fail to appreciate their willingness and goodness of heart. For my part, Willard writes, at least, I could no longer deny the fact I finally decided the problem was a theological deficiency 
uh, a lack in teaching, understanding, and practical direction. The gospel preached and the instruction and example given these faithful ones simply do not do justice to the nature of human part personality as embodied incarnate. And so uh, getting at that. So let me give you the three steps that um, Wilson gives, Todd Wilson here, to move towards an integrated approach on spiritual formation. He gives three steps. One, take the body more seriously. Uh, he writes, not long ago, I listened to a chapel message given by a well-known pastor at a well-known seminary. The message was about how to make the most of your seminary experience, and his approach was to focus on the essence of the Christian life. It was a moving talk about glorifying God with your education, finding joy in Greek and Hebrew, developing your mind by reading great books, and so on. But toward the end of the message, a thought occurred to me. This is a great vision of spiritual formation, but don't you? but you don't need a body for any of it. You don't need to have a, be a human being to do any of it. It could have been a chapel talk just for angels I was listening to. Uh, and he says this, uh, you've got to, uh, you need to understand um, that, that your body matters. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse two, Paul calls on Christians to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. He says, I wonder if healing the brain is at least part of what scripture has in mind uh, later on, because step number two, he's going to say, take the brain more seriously as well. But back to the body he says, if we want to move towards an integrated approach to spiritual formation, then we need to seriously scrutinize our dualistic anthropology. We need to ask ourselves whether it is the most biblically faithful, theologically sound way of understanding what it means to be human. So you got to think about your body's health. You got to think about the things you're doing to and with your body. These matter to your spiritual life. Number two, he says, take the brain more seriously. Uh, a damaged brain can bend behavior and otherwise moral people can do immoral things if their brains aren't working right. And that's where you got to Romans 12, chapter uh, chapter 12, verse two that I read earlier. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So often, Ian and I talk about this all the time, that people in the Christian world, for some reason, don't like to acknowledge mental struggles and mental illness and what the brain does to our actions. We must take our brains. If you need counseling, go to counseling. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a good thing. Ashley uh, Her talked about that just earlier, that one of the best things he's done to remain faithful as a pastor is to see a therapist. Uh, to be with a life coach, those types of things. Number three, take interpersonal community communion more seriously. When you have a dualistic understanding of the person, you'll naturally prioritize the mind over the body and you'll inevitably put the emphasis on knowing over being known. And he says, you need to be known if you're going to be healthy, that we all have a desire to know others and to be known. You might say that the telos, he says, or the goal of spiritual formation is to be complete in Christ. He says, we as pastors, and I would say anybody, will have a hard time getting to this completeness without taking more seriously our bodies, without taking more seriously our brains, and without taking more seriously our interpersonal communion, being known by one another and by our Lord and Maker. And Wilson says, these are steps to an integrated life. And so I just close by asking you, uh, how's your integration? Are you a person uh, who has this duality in your life where there's hidden parts and other things? If so, take these three steps. Uh, maybe they can provide some some way out of the darkness, some way out of the woods uh, and provide you some help. Well, coming up next, we're going to do something kind of off the beaten path that is a little bit fascinating. We're going to talk to an author who just wrote a book uh, about the city of Chicago. Some of the interesting facts, some things you may not know about our wonderful city. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out uh, with his family for a couple days enjoying uh, a little bit of a break. So we're glad for that for him. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show as well. You know, sometimes we jump into hard subjects just like we did in the last segment, and sometimes things that are just fascinating and interesting and fun to talk about. And uh, with that in mind, we are really excited to have on the phone uh, Ellen Schubart. Ellen is the author of a book called What's With Chicago. So, Ellen, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brian. Absolutely. As I was telling you off air, um, I am not a native Chicagoan, so your book is fascinating with some of the questions I have. But before we dive into those, uh, why did you write this book? What made you excited to write a book about our great city of Chicago? Well, I'm in love with the city of Chicago, and I spend my retirement years, which is now, giving tours for the Chicago Architecture Center. Oh. And I found many things to love about the city, and I want to share it with people so they'll love Chicago, too. Absolutely. So uh, this this might be like trying to choose your favorite child. I understand this, but, <laughs> but if someone asks you, what is one or two of your favorite things about the city of Chicago, how would you answer that? Well, I think one of the things that people are always interested in learning is why is Chicago where it is and what it is and such a magnificent city in the middle of the country. And it all has to do with that silly little river out uh, back called the Chicago River, which is really not even a river. That's interesting unto itself. It's an engineered canal. But that's the reason that we're here. That's the reason we have our name. That's the reason that the city grew and will continue to grow, I think. Uh, certainly along the banks of the river, we see lots of uh, development coming. Another fun thing is how, what kind of diverse food we have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, from the hot dog, but all the way on to the jarabito, which is a, uh, a Puerto Rican sandwich where you use a plantain, which is like a banana. Wow. And for the for the bread to substitute for the bread and all points in between. Yeah, absolutely. So you brought up the hot dogs. So let me ask that question. I was going to get to this. Uh, okay. I, I grew up out on the East Coast, and uh, I'm just going to be honest. This might cause some people to turn the radio off. I like some ketchup on my hot dog. I'm a ketchup guy. Yeah. And, and when I got out here, people got viscerally angry with me when I when I wanted to put ketchup on it. Can you can you even <laughs> can you even help me understand what is the aversion to ketchup and the hot dog in the Chicago land? Where does that come um, from? What does that have to do with? Well, a lot of food aficionados will tell you the reason we don't eat ketchup on a hot dog, is that it's too sweet to go Uh with all of the salty and sour other ingredients, like the pickles and the uh, neon green relish, uh, or it will overpower the flavor of the tomato and all of that. And the hot dog has a very long history here. starts at the 1893 World's Fair when the kosher-style all-beef sausage is introduced, gets through the uh, First World War when we changed the name from a Frankfurter or a Wiener to a hot dog because of our status with, in war with the Germans. And then in the Depression is when we add all those other flavors and vegetables. We do what we call running it through the garden, pulling it through <laughs> the garden, because that made a full meal during yeah. the Depression. Oh, that's really fascinating. So I should learn to not put ketchup on my hot dog is what that's people are right. trying to it, tell me. 
There you go. Speaking of food, uh, obviously people love to talk about deep dish pizza with Chicago. So how long has that been around? How did that become synonymous with Chicago? Uh, well, it was created here by a guy who owned a pizza place called Uno's, oh. which you may know now. I and do. then he had another one called Douay's. Uh, and um, the, it came right after uh, World War II uh, when people brought back the idea of pizza altogether from the Italian front, but um, they made it into a, into a Chicago style. Um, the fellow's name, by the way, was uh, Ike Sewell. Um, and, you know, today in, in Chicago, you can get all kinds of pizza, right. the thin pizza, the thick pizza, and then the stuffed pizza. And each one of them uh, has a different amount of cheese and whatever. But that's basically, it is a, uh, it's a remnant of the GIs who brought back the Italian pizza and then made it into their own. Okay. And in your book, uh, I read this, Chicago is the birthplace of the skyscraper. That is something I never knew. Tell me that. Tell me that history. Oh, well, that's the base. That's the basis of so much of our history. Uh, It comes because in 1871, we had the Great Chicago Fire, which burned three acres of land predominantly in the downtown that gave us an open space, a tabula rosa, so to speak, and people start to build up rather than out because the uh, downtown was hemmed in by the river on two sides and the lake on the third. At the same time that this is going on, the city A is just bursting with people as immigrants are coming Mm. to Chicago. We're the fastest growing city in the world at that point. And number two, it's the birth of the office. People now are no longer having to be where manufacturing has happened or where the business is. You can be in an office because of the invention of the telephone and the telegraph. And so the boss is going to sit somewhere else and just pick up the phone and say, how are things doing over there? And that allowed us to build bigger and taller buildings in the downtown uh, for the people who are running all of the manufacturing, which pretty much is being developed along the river. Oh, this is all fascinating. So help me with this one. Mrs. O'Leary's cow, guilty or not guilty of starting the Great Chicago Uh, Fire? Not not guilty (laughs) and made not guilty by an act of the city council. Is that right? Yes, Mrs. O'Leary's cow's name is Daisy. For years and years, she was given credit for kicking over the lantern and setting the fire. Uh, But uh, after there was a lot more historical research done, turns out it was probably a drunk walking through the alley who knocked over a lantern. And uh, Daisy was pardoned by the city council. Oh, that's good. I'm glad that that happened. Uh, Yes. So, again, we're listening to Ellen Schubart. She wrote a fascinating book called What's With Chicago, and uh, I would encourage you to pick it up. Uh, taking a little bit more uh, of a uh, of a serious tone, when, when you yeah. look at the future of Chicago, so this city that you love, what do you see in its future? What, what do you think is coming down the road? Well, I think there's a lot of things happening to the city of Chicago, um, and uh Among other things, there is a prediction that by mid-century 2050, we will be a megacity, which means we'll be over 
uh, 10 million. Now that doesn't mean personally in the city. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, it's the area, um, and that's going to happen because Chicago has a very diversified economy, and we seem to be building in many different ways. I don't mean physically building. We are doing that, but yep. we are also uh, building up different kinds of areas, including a lot more tech than we've ever had. And um, But at the same time, we have to be very concerned about the fact that although in the main area of the city we are gaining population, mm-hmm. and in many areas of the city, north and northwest, we are holding our own on population, on the south and west sides we are losing population because of a number of factors, and we have to push our investment in that direction if we want to keep growing the way we uh well the way we want to if we want to keep growing we're going to have to do more and i think you're going to see more of that because there are open spaces now that are being talked about as development areas yeah. like the, the old marshall field um area the old you uh you the steel plants on the south side about 79th street those places are again being talked about as development sites, and if we can get those kinds of things going, then uh, the economy will improve. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ellen, this has been a lot of fun. You're listening to Ellen Schubart, the author of What's With Chicago. Uh, on that book, you can discover the secrets, the not so secret, and the well known stories and facts about the Windy City. We could have done this for a lot longer, but Ellen, thank you so much for your time today, and good luck Bye. with the book. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate it. Yep. Have a great day. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, and we end the show the same way uh, each and every day with just a little bit of craziness from the internet. Uh, these are found by our producer, John, by our executive producer, Keith Conrad. Uh, just, just Keith. Just Keith today. Okay, they must be bad because John is distancing himself from them. So uh, we are uh, going to jump into them. I read them sight unseen, and we all gasp or we all laugh. We do whatever uh, together. Here we go. First one, South Carolina. Package missing off woman's porch had nine tarantula spiders in it. If this story doesn't scare porch pirates, we aren't sure what will because a Spartan woman, Spartanburg woman called deputies Sunday about a package that she believed to have been stolen off her porch. The catch? It contained nine tarantula spiders valued at approximately $1,000. The woman told a deputy she was due to receive the package at 10.30 a.m. Friday and had gotten a notification that the package had been delivered at 9.16 a.m. When she went to get the package, it wasn't on her porch. The report said there was no surveillance video on the property, and there were no suspects at the time. I say we take off and nuke the entire site for morbid. It's the only way to be sure. (laughs) California. Goodwill finds World War II mortar shell in donations. You may have been at Goodwill dropping off clothes and other items after cleaning out a closet. Well, this place can get some odd donations. And one item recently left in Placerville had the the potential to go boom. A live mortar shell, believed to be from World War II, was recently left at this Goodwill store. Goodwill says people often drop off items in boxes that haven't been looked through. And sometimes the donations are from a deceased war veteran. As we sort through things, we often find war memorabilia, grenades. It's rare that we find a live grenade or any live ammunition. But when we do, we have protocols to place and make sure that we dispose of it safely. 
in the case of this potentially explosive mortar, the bomb squad came in to take it away and dis- disposed of it at Travis Air Force Base. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. Incoming! <laughs> Sometimes the short ones are the funniest ones. Yeah, it's like they catch you off guard. He has these gratuitous 25-second ones that are like basically entire scenes, but then he'll have these little blips. Yep. They're, they're nice and sweet. Which just You can never stay ahead of them. Can never Can't. stay. The next one's out of Texas. Woman sues for $1 million after walking into window at grocery store. That feels legit. A Texas woman is suing for up to $1 million after she walked into a window that appeared to her as an open doorway at a well-known grocery store. Local news reported that the woman is is suing Lagrone Services, a Houston-based construction company that built the Kroger marketplace where the incident happened. In the lawsuit, the woman said she went to Kroger on April 17th. As she was leaving, the woman walked toward what appeared to be an open doorway. But instead of a doorway, she walked directly into a clear floor-to-ceiling window. And the woman, of course, claims that she sustained serious injuries. Sanjay to the entrance with the Windex. Sanjay to the entrance with the Windex. <laughs> Second to last one, Nebraska. A Nebraska driver cited for painting registration sticker on license plate. If you see the picture of this, it's actually pretty good. He did a good job. Nebraska drivers have plenty of options for personalizing their license plates, but one driver this week took it too far. A Nebraska State Patrol trooper pulled over a driver who had painted the registration sticker onto the vehicle's license plates. Trooper Adam Strode spotted the faux sticker Monday morning on Interstate 80 in Lincoln. I've talked to a few of our troopers who said this was the first time they've seen anything like this. Thomas said Uh, the driver was ticketed on suspicion of not having valid registration and unlawful display of license plates or renewal tabs. It's unclear how far the trooper was from the vehicle when he noticed a sticker, Uh, but the paint job apparently lasted the driver for three months because it indicated registration should have been renewed in May. But in lieu of the word Nebraska running down the left side of the sticker, the driver left small white dots. The red rectangles were askew and white lines were a little wiggly. One Twitter user replied to a state trooper's tweet about the plates asking if the budding artist could have actually used a ruler. Was that wrong? (laughs) Should I not have done that? I think that's very creative. I think that should be an option. Like, you should get permission from the DMV or the the, uh, Department of Transportation. Like, hey, if I paint this... Are Can we I, good? Like, indicate, yeah. If, come it, on. if it looks good, you got to see the picture of this because it was at least an A for effort. So it's nice. Last ones out of Tennessee. Southwest Airlines flight attendant inside overhead compartment perplexes passengers. Uh, maybe that's why passengers have to have to gate check their bags. The overhead compartments are filled with flight attendants. A recent Southwest Airlines flight from Nashville to Philadelphia began on an odd note when a passenger spotted a flight attendant inside the plane's overhead compartment. According to a short video taken by the passenger who was heading back home to Pennsylvania, the attendant can be seen resting on her side and stomach with her feet hanging out of the compartment. While passengers are boarding, the airline employee rolls over on her stomach and seems to start talking, though the video cuts off. Lloyd told Fox News she was perplexed by the woman's actions and notes she was in the overhead bin for a solid 10 minutes. It was very interesting, Lloyd said. I think she was doing it to try and be funny and make the passengers laugh. Lloyd said when the woman came down from the bin, she was very nice for the remainder of the flight. Southwest said in a statement to Fox News that its employees are known for their sense of humor. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Uh, Southwest, they always try to make you laugh when you get on their flights. They're always doing funny stuff. 
I thought I was going to say she was napping, but nope, just just trying to make people laugh. Well, it made me laugh. (laughs) I would think it was funny, although it would be a little bit much. Well, we're glad you joined us today on this Thursday. Again, if you didn't hear Ashley Her, I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. But it's been a great day. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.